Yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Full Time Show. I hope everyone is having a very, very good day. Like always, I'm Anthony, and today, like always, I feel like I always say this, but we have a lot to talk about. And today, this podcast will mostly be um, centered on La Liga.、Um, Sorry for not uploading a podcast in a little while. I wanted to do a podcast、um, last Friday,、um, but I, I couldn't simply.、Um, just plans got mixed up. But I plan on doing it. I want to do a podcast basically rating、um, how the biggest signings of the summer have fared so far, giving them a rating out of 10 and stuff like that.、Um, I think that would be a fun podcast. And then also rating. Um, transfer rumors that are gonna happen and、uh, transfers that already seem to be done.、Um, but yeah, so we're gonna talk about first、um, a bit about Atletico Madrid.、Um, once again, they lost to、uh, Granada 2 1, and that makes it four losses in a row for Diego Simeone's side.、Um, they currently sit fifth in La Liga.、Um, and then I'm not sure 100%, we'll see how. Everything pans out, but we might talk a little bit about Barca versus Sevilla.、Um, that game finished 1 1. And then lastly, we will talk about Real Madrid versus、um, who was it? Oh, yeah, Athletic Bilbao. Sorry, I had a bit of a brain fart there. And we might have some guests for that segment,、um, but stick around to the end because. This should be a good podcast. And、uh, without further ado, let's get straight into today's show. Alright, so let's first talk a bit about Atletico Madrid.、Um, but before we do that, I forgot to mention it in the intro. But if you haven't already, please make sure to go subscribe to the Full Dot Time Show on Instagram. That's where we post all. Football news in the world. We recently posted about Ferran Torres to Barcelona. question mark、um, And we also、uh, post when podcasts go live.、Um, that way, you know when the podcasts come out right away and get listening to them. But, anyways, this is what you're here for. So, Atletico Madrid, as stated already, four losses in a row in La Liga. It's been a horrid run、um, for them, obviously.、Um, and there's quite a few factors to this that we'll get to. But uh, today, uh, obviously, depending on when you're listening to this,、um, but for me today,、um, December the 22nd,、uh, they lost 2 1 to Granada, then they lost 2 1 to Sevilla. 2 0 to Real Madrid and 2 1 to Mallorca.、Um, obviously, losing to Real Madrid, losing to Granada,、uh, pardon me, losing to Real Madrid, losing to Sevilla, that's not、um, the worst thing in the world. Obviously, those are two very good teams,、um, both you know, first and second in La Liga. But you know, losing to teams like Mallorca and Granada, that's, that's bad. You know,、um, Mallorca is what? 15th in the table, and then Granada is、um, 12th in the table. So, you know, that, those are games that you just simply have to win. And both those games have two very, very common denominators that are just super easy to point out. And actually, pretty much all these games have a very similar denominator, but especially Mallorca and Granada game. It's, you know, 
Atletico will score an early goal um, in the Mallorca game. Uh, you know, they, well, this wasn't early, but they scored first. Mateos Cunha put them ahead. And then they pretty much lost in the final 10 minutes with uh, Franco Russo scoring in the 80th minute. And then uh, Raul Mangeloni, Takifusa Kubo scoring in the 91st, putting them ahead. And then in the Granada game, it's pretty much the same story. João Felix scores within 90 minutes. Um, and then they lose it again with Darwin Machis and Jorge Molina um, scoring goals. And then Atletico Madrid just simply um, couldn't capitalize from there. Now, there is an argument to be had that uh, Atletico Madrid should have at least come away with a point. And I think that's a very fair argument. Uh, João Felix did score uh, two goals in this game, but one of them was ruled out um, because it was apparently a foul. Basically, he um, went up to win a header in the opposing team's box, and um, the ref just simply thought it was a foul. I don't think it was a foul. To me, it seemed like a fair... Um, header a fair win of the ball um it was a nice header as well um so you could make that argument that they did get unlucky also João Felix scored another well came close to scoring another um goal by hitting the post late on in the game um but either way you know that a draw is still not good enough against Granada. You know, as I said, these are games that you just, you simply have to be winning. You simply have to be winning, you know. Um, with all due respect to Granada, I mean, they're not the greatest team, you know. They're, they're, I would say they're, like, a bit under average um, a La Liga team. I think they're actually overperforming this season. Um, they're sitting 12th, but they're sitting 12th on 22 points, right? Like, if you, if you want to, you know, paint a picture, um, like, for example, Barca, or even Atletico, Atletico are 5th, and they're only 7 points ahead. So, you know, that's, that's a pretty small margin. But if you look at the gap between even Real and Atletico, it's a 17, is that, is my math correct? Yeah, 17 point difference. That's insane, right? Um, to be fair, Atletico Madrid does have a game in hand, so assuming Atleti win the next game, that'd be 14 points, but, you know, as it stands, 17 points. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very common that they, they just, they lose the lead, and that's very strange, because Atletico Madrid, I feel like they've built a reputation, especially under Diego Simeone. They've they've built this reputation for being this defensive doghouse that teams just hate playing against and um rightfully so. Like in their prime years, they were probably the best defensive team in the world. You know, they were so hard to score against. No one could score against them, um, except for Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. Um but I feel like they've really lost their identity. Um, and I think there's a few factors for that. I think one of them is, you know, they, they've lost a few key players in their back line over the years. Um, you know, losing Godin due to, you know, age, you know, back in his day, he was one of the best center backs in the world. 
Felipe Luis, who you know left to Brazil. Um, they lost Thomas Party uh, a couple years ago. Was that no last year? It was last year to uh, Arsenal. Um, but I also think that you know, t- to be truthfully honest, I don't think Jan Oblak has been um, performing at the level that you know we're used to seeing from him. Um, I think most people consider Jan Oblak to be a top three goalkeeper in the world. A lot of people consider him to be even the best. But um, it's hard to even consider Jan Oblak as as top five, top seven goalkeeper in the world, honestly. Um, Because, you know, just looking at his stats, I mean, he averages uh, one goal conceded per game. Which, I mean, that's not bad by any means, um, oh no, they actually average more than a goal per game, uh, he concedes more than a goal per game, so they've conceded 22 goals in 18 games, I think that's something like, what, 1.2 goals per game, I don't know, my math could very well be wrong there, I'm not great at math, (laughs) um, yeah, that's probably wrong, um, anyways, but, you know, one save per match as well, so, you know, let's say, let's just round it and say one, you know, goal allowed a game on one save. One save. That's not very good. If, you know, you want to compare that to uh, to Thibaut Courtois, he concedes, again, a goal uh, per match, but that's three saves made. Now, to be fair, that could be a bit of an indictment against Real Madrid. Um... But that goes back to the point, like, their their defense just simply isn't as strong as it was, you know? Um, and that's not to, like, I don't want to sit here and, and just disrespect them, but, you know, in their game against, for example, Granada, they had a, a back line of Mario Hermoso, uh, Kong Dogbia, who isn't even a center back. He's a central midfielder. Uh, that's his natural trade. Um, and then Felipe. So, you know, and then Koke as a defensive midfielder. That That's not a lot of defensive stability you're getting from there, you know. Um, you're really getting, you know, two natural center backs and then an out-of-form goalkeeper, you know, not really a defensive midfielder that's playing defensive midfielder, um, but, yeah, I think, I think they've really just lost their identity. I think the other thing, though, is Diego Simeone, in my opinion, he's, um, his tactics are outdated, and we've been saying this for a while, but I truly think that his tactics are outdated. The tactic of, you know, playing the, the 4-4-2 and, um, you know, scoring one goal early and then, you know, hoping to defend... Yeah, the lead for the rest of the game. That's something that would work in the 80s. That'll that'll maybe win you a UCL title in the 80s. But we're not in the 80s. Players are a lot, lot better than they were back in the 80s. Players are faster. Players are stronger. Players are better technically, and players are smarter as well. And it that it's it's a lot harder to be able to defend leads, especially over the course of 90 minutes, like, for example, in the Granada game, where, you know, they scored 90 seconds into the game, and then they ended up conceding two 
and losing. That tactic just has to go, in my opinion. That is not the way to play anymore. I think that's one of the reasons why Real Madrid has been so successful this season is because they don't show any mercy. When they score one goal, they try scoring a second. When they score a second, they try scoring a third. When they try scoring... Uh, sorry, when they have a third, they try scoring a fourth, and it just keeps going. And, you know, they've had multiple games of high-scoring games, you know, destroying Mallorca 6-1, uh, destroying Shakhtar 5-0, uh, Alaves 4-1. And Atleti doesn't have that killer mentality. You know, they kind of just want to sit back and try defending. And I think that's just not the right tactic. But... On one hand, I can also understand why Simeone does this. I think that they don't really have a strong attack. They have, I would say, actually a pretty weak attack. Um, João Felix, you know, 120 million euro signing. He's been quite up and down since his arrival um, to the Wander Metropolitano. You know, he's had um, moments where he's been incredible. And then he's had moments where... You just don't even notice he's on the pitch. And I think that's the biggest problem with João Felix. Um, for example, uh, in the Granada game, as I said, he was lighting it up. You know, uh, He probably should have had two goals. Um, could have had three. But then you look at his performance against Real Madrid a few weeks ago. And he was a no-show. You know, He was a, get, uh, a ghost. He was literally nowhere to be found on the pitch. And for someone who is 120 million euros, that's something you can't be doing. I understand João Felix is young. You know, he's only 22 years old. But if this is someone that Atleti are going to count on in the long run, which I assume is going to happen, he's going to have to be more consistent. Um, and then same goes for Antoine Griezmann. Coming back from... Uh, Barca, he started off the season really strongly, um, and to be fair, his stats aren't the worst, especially in the UCL, I mean, he has four goals and an assist in five Champions League games, um, but in La Liga, uh, you know, three goals, one assist in 16 games, again, Antoine Griezmann has also been super inconsistent, and he's had a big dip in form since his arrival, um, as I said, you know, he started off red hot when he first joined, uh, or when he first rejoined, I should say. Um, but, yeah, he's really cooling off since then. Um, and then Luis Suarez as well. Same thing, honestly. He he isn't the same old reliable striker. Um, I think, you know, Luis Suarez is... Um, at this stage in his career, the most you can ask for him is just being a poacher. Um, because, you know, 18 matches, 7 goals... Uh, in La Liga, and then the Champions League, he only has one goal in six matches, zero assists. Um, again, Luis Suarez has been very inconsistent um, against Real Madrid. He was pretty bad. Um, and then Angel Correa, I mean, he's been okay, to be fair, for Atletico, but, you know, that's not someone that, with all due respect to Correa, I don't think he's a bad player, but... He's not starter quality, in my opinion. Um, and again, Mateus Cunha, he's been very up and down since his arrival. Um, scored today. Um, oh, so pardon me. He didn't score today. Um, I got mixed up with him in the Mallorca game. Um, 
But yeah, like three goals in 14 games. Now, I think Cunha does get a bit of, a, I don't want to say pass, but maybe a bit of a, um, an excuse. I don't know how to say, but, you know, he did join um, from Hertha Berlin over the summer. So, you know, adapting to a tougher league, a bigger team, um, different country, new language, new teammates, new environment. Um, and again, he is only 22 years old. So, you know, that, that's always going to be tough. Um, and I, he has actually shown signs of promise. So I don't think he's too big of a worry. But the very big uh, denominator that you can find is that there's a lot of inconsistency in this team. Right? Um, Jan Oblak, João Felix, Griezmann, Suarez, uh, Cunha. You know, honestly, even uh, Yannick Carrasco, he's been on and off at times. Thomas Lamar, um, he's been on and off at times. And and Rodrigo De Paul, honestly, he's he's been a bit of a an underwhelming signing, I would say, you know, and I expected a lot more from Rodrigo DePaul. Um, I, like, coming into this season, I said that Rodrigo DePaul was one of the steals of the summer, one of the signings of the summer, and it looked like a very, very good deal. I mean, they paid 35 million euros to uh, Udinese, um, and, I, yeah, I really thought that would be a good signing for them, but, you know... I know this isn't the best way to maybe rate a player's performance um, performances, but you know, one assist in 17 games, you know, no goals. Again, I know that's not the best way that you should be, um, um, like what's it called, uh, rating a player. Um, but you know, he's only averaging 0.7 shots per game in La Liga. Um, pass accuracy about. 85%, but he's only, you know, completing about 31 passes a game, which is not that many. You know, I would expect a lot more from him. Um, and defensively, I mean, he's not really much of a defensive player, but, you know, he doesn't do much defensively. Um, according to SofaScore, his average rating is 7 out of 10. Um, but, you know... Rating apps are always very hard to come by. You know, you never know how to properly assess them because rating apps will never tell you the full story. Um, but against Granada, you know, he got a 6.2 rating. Um, but anyways, that's besides the point. I think the biggest problem simply is, I think, honestly, there just needs to be a change. I think it's slowly coming to the point where maybe Atletico Madrid should look for another option. I'm not saying to fire Simeone, but I think if something doesn't change, then maybe you should be looking at that option, you know, because four losses in a row, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. There's 17 points behind uh, league leaders Real Madrid. If you were to tell me that they won the league last year, I don't know if I would laugh or cry at, at La Liga. I mean, that it's just absolutely pathetic that they're 17 points behind Real Madrid and we're only halfway into the season. I mean, at this trajectory, who knows? They'll be 40 points behind Real Madrid. Seriously. Um, but, I mean, we'll, we'll just see how this pans out. Um, let me know what you guys think about the whole Atletico Madrid sa um, saga. In terms of signings that they can make, 
I'm trying to think of someone that would be a good signing for them. I know that they've been linked with Dusan, Dusan Vlahovic. Is that how you say it? I don't know if it's Dusan. We're going to go with Dusan Vlahovic. Anyways, if you guys can correct me if you want. Um, they've been linked with Dusan Vlahovic. I actually think that's someone they should have bought in the summer. And my thought on that fit is I actually think that would be a perfect fit. The only problem with Dusan Vlahovic is that he would cost a lot. Like, there's a lot of competition right now for Dusan Vlahovic, and understandably so. I mean, credit to the guy. He's been lighting Syria on fire. But I have a couple concerns about him. My first one is that he only has, um, you know, one... Like, if we're being honest, we only have, like, I don't even know if it's a full 18 months, but let's just be generous and say an 18-month sample size. You may be thinking to yourself, like, 18 months, like, well, that's plenty. But before that, he wasn't actually doing that well um, in terms of goal scoring. I'm, I'm trying to pull up... Uh, his stats from uh, from previous seasons, um, but like in nine in two thousand nineteen twenty, he only had six goals, and then in two thousand eighteen nineteen, he had zero goals, um, and then in two thousand twenty twenty one, he had twenty one goals. That's phenomenal, um, and then this season he's also been phenomenal. But you can see that you know it's only really been these past eighteen months and. I feel like the situation is different with him in Holland because I think the one big comparison that people always want to um, throw at Dusan Vlahovic is Erling Holland, and I understand the comparison. I mean, two you know big, beastly, tall strikers, you know, who are both athletic, can put the ball in the back of the net. Um, you know, every team in Europe wants them. I understand the comparison, but I think the reason why I'm skeptical about um, Vlahovic and not, um, uh, pardon me, and not Haaland, is that, first of all, Haaland, we know he can do it against the best of the best. He's done it against Bayern, and he's done it against teams in the Champions League. Dusan Vlahovic has not shown that he can play against the best in the world, specifically, you know, in the Champions League. Because, I mean, Fiorentina aren't a Champions League level team. Um, but that's my one concern. And I'm not here to call him a penalty merchant. But he does score a lot of penalties. Now, you can take that for however you want it to. All right, You can interpret it for however you want it to. But I'm just saying that he does score a lot of penalties. And I'm trying to find how many penalties he scored. But it's not it's not here. That sucks. Um, so, yeah, that's my only concern. And the other concern, as I mentioned, you know, every team in Europe wants him. You know, he's drawn interest from Arsenal, uh, from Tottenham, from Man City. And I think I think that's about it. Yeah. Um, so it'd be tough for Atleti to get him. Um, I know I just went on a bit of a Vlahovic 
not rant, but, you know, I talked about Vlahovic a lot there. Um, I didn't, by the way, I didn't write this down ahead of time, so I'm trying to kind of just think off the top. I think another player that, honestly, Atleti would need is maybe another center back. Um, you know, assuming you have Vlahovic, I think the center back would be another good place to invest in because I think I think honestly the midfield is very solid for Atleti. Um yeah, like they have a solid midfield, Kong Dogbia, Rodrigo DePaul, even though, you know, I know I said he's been underperforming, but he's still a good midfielder. Uh Koke, uh, Marcos Llorente, Yana Carrasco. So they have a pretty good midfield. But I think their defense has been pretty poor, especially this season. And again, as we mentioned, this is a team that's supposed to be good defensively. Um, you know, Felipe, he's 32 years old. You know, he's getting up there in age. Um, Savage is 30 years old. Um, Jose Jimenez has, has struggled with injuries recently. Um, he's he's barely played in half of the games this season in La Liga for Atleti. Um and, you know, Hermoso, he's not bad. He's actually, he's pretty decent. But if Atletico, you know, want a challenge for the UCL, which I'm sure they do, they're, they're going to need a world-class center back, you know, um, a Godin-type level center back. And they just don't really have that. So, um, you know, obviously, I think the, the obvious one is, you know, oh, go for the lick there, go for Kunde. But... With all due respect to Atleti, I don't think they're going to get them. They're very expensive, and Kunde, you know, every team in the world wants Kunde. Chelsea, City, United, Real Madrid, and I don't see Kunde saying to, you know, that he'd rather go to Atleti, unless Atleti makes a monster bid for him and offers some crazy wages, but Atletico isn't that kind of team, so that wouldn't happen. And the look same thing. You know, I think someone, though, that they could sign that would be a great signing for them is Pau Torres. That'd be a solid signing. He's, for for anyone that watches Spain or for anyone that watches La Liga, Pau Torres is a hidden gem. And they would know how good this guy is. He is one of the best ball-playing center backs in the world, but he's also a very good defender. Um... And I believe he's also pretty tall. I'm just going to um, check his height here real quickly. Um, he's 191 centimeters. So, yeah, pretty friggin' tall, obviously. Um, that would be a great signing for them. And, again, like, he hasn't attracted... For some reason, he hasn't been drawing a lot of rumors. The biggest one I've been seeing... The biggest one I've been seeing, pardon me, is him potentially to... Real, but it's really only been that Real are, you know, interested, but nothing's advanced, and I've, I believe Man United were interested in him at one point, but anyways, alright, we've been talking about Atletico for just over 25 minutes now, I'm getting tired of talking about them, so we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back for the next segment. All right, so now we're going to move on. Talk a bit about Barca versus Sevilla. Now, this happened a few days ago, um, but this was a pretty good game. And, you know, for Real Madrid fans like myself, 
I was happy that they both drew. I needed <laughs> Sevilla to to tie and and you know obviously seeing Barca drop points that's always ideal. So you know it's uh <laughs> it was nice for me. Um, but no, in all honesty, you know this was a pretty good game, and I think there was a lot to take away from this game. Um, first of all, I think honestly. Barca probably deserved to win this game, you know. Um, I know stats aren't everything, of course, um, but I think the stats are pretty telling on how this game went. I mean, they literally dominate all of the stats. Just look, ball possession, ball possession they have 59% um, to Sevilla's 41. Total shots, 23 to Sevilla's 5. Um, and then... Seven shots on target to, to, to Sevilla's one. That's pretty embarrassing from Marc-Andre Ter Stegen's uh, standpoint. T to be fair, though, it was a nice goal. Um, you know, block shots, um, Barca seven. So, I don't know if that's Sevilla blocking seven shots or Barca blocking seven shots. That's a bit um, un unclear. But, you know, they had more than double the amount of corner kicks with nine uh, to Sevilla's four, um, you know, they drew more fouls, um, you know, big chances missed as well, you know, woodwork, shots inside box, you know, even passes, passing accuracy, crosses, dribbles, everything, duels won, aerials won, tackles, interceptions, everything, got my voice cracking, Barca just dominated this game statistically, and Chavi said, you know, in the, in the, post-match uh, press conference that, you know, he thinks Barca deserved to win. And honestly, I think I agree with him, you know. Um, now, Sevilla, to be fair, again, this is why I said stats don't matter. Uh, so, not that stats don't matter, but stats don't tell the full story. At the beginning of this game, I would say the first, um, like, I, I don't know, how, like maybe 25 minutes... 25 minutes, is that fair? Um, let me see when they scored. So yeah, first 25 minutes, I would say. It really looked like this game was going to go Barca's way. Um, you know, they were dominating. Um, they looked like the more dangerous team. They were constantly just in Sevilla's half. Sevilla couldn't get out of their half. Um, and then when they did get out of their half, you know, Barca would go on the counterattack or they just... The attack would fizzle to nothing. Um, up until the 32nd minute where Alejandro Gomez scored a beautiful goal from a, uh, a, a corner. It was You can tell that's just something that you know they, they drew up in the training ground. It was really nicely well worked. Um, and then that's kind of where the momentum shifted. And it was like, oh shoot, you know. Wow, like, are Sevilla going to win this now? And then Ra Ronald Araujo, you know, uh, with a great header um, from an Usman Dembele corner. And then the second half, I would say, was pretty even. But Sevilla, I would say, looked like the more dangerous team. Like, if I had to bet on someone to score, I'd probably go and put my money on Sevilla. Which is weird, right? Because the stats don't even show that, but they just, they were looking a lot more dangerous, they were catching Barca out at times, and, you know, there were a few instances where Dembele would dribble, 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 lose the ball, 
Sevilla would go on the counterattack, and then, you know, Araujo or someone would have to make an interception or do something. Who, By the way, Araujo, he started the game off slowly, but after that goal, like, he was phenomenal. And I believe he won man of the match, actually, so uh, kudos to him. Um, I actually really like him. Like, even as a Real Madrid fan, I would 100% take him. Um, at Real Madrid, he's a solid, solid player, honestly, um, lots of potential, um, but I think if you're to look at the positives in this game, you know, like, I think Barca had more positives than negatives in this game, and people need to understand one thing, I can't believe I'm defending Barca here, but we all know that this is a finished season, pretty much, for Barca, and at least in the league. We know they're not going to win. At this point, it's it's basically impossible for them to even challenge for the title. Um, the best I would say they can do is just, you know, get um, a spot, you know, in, the, in Europe. But in terms of challenging for the title, there's just no way. I mean, they're, what, 18 points behind Real Madrid. So, yeah, that's not going to happen. So I think this season is really just about a develop developmental develop developmental developmental I don't even know how to say that word how do you say that developmental anyways um this is you know what I'm saying developmental season for Barca and for the youngsters such as Gavi Nico Gonzalez who both had great games in my opinion especially Gavi he is such a promising player um honestly I'm starting to become a, a Gavi hype train member. Like, he is really friggin' good. There's this one thing that he does, and I feel like Eden Hazard used to do this back at Chelsea. Uh, I could be wrong, but what he does is he'll be dribbling the ball, and he'll kind of, it's it's kind of cheap. But I remember there was one instance, I believe it might have actually gotten Thomas Delaney a yellow card. I don't know, may, maybe I was wrong, but I know it got him a foul. And he'll, when he's dribbling the ball, if he's, like, beside, like, if the player's beside them, like, what he'll do is he'll kind of, like, cut in front of them. And then the player, the defender, will, like, run into him, and then it'll look like they fouled him. <laughs> it's, it's, it was like, damn, like, that's smart, you know? Um, but, yeah, he's really good. I think this is just a developmental year for, for Barca. You know, this is a rebuild year for very obvious reasons. Um, Antoine Griezmann leaving. Of course, Lionel Messi leaving. So, it's just, what can you do now? I think now you just want to see what Xavi can do. You know, can he implement the so-called Barca way? Um, which, you know, that hasn't happened yet. But I think there has been, um, you know, subtle improvements, uh, you know, day by day, week by week, game by game. Um, and then what can you also see from Usman Dembele and Frankie de Jong? And I think those are two players that most Barca fans are paying the most attention to because we've spoken actually both about both those two. If you haven't, make sure to go listen to our previous podcast Um where I basically, you know, talk about those two. But, you know, both have been underwhelming since their arrivals. Um, but what can you get from those two? And I think this is 
a trend in the right direction for Barca. As weird as that sounds, I think it is. They just recently signed Ferran Torres, which I think is a good signing. I think it is. Um, but, you know, that probably means they're going to have to sell someone. And this is pretty interesting to me because does that mean Usman Dembele will go? You know, is this kind of like a emergency Usman Dembele signing? Because... As we know, Usman Dembele's contract runs out in 2022. He's free to negotiate with any club um, as of January 1st, 2022. And, you know, maybe this is someone that Barca are like, all right, if this guy wants us to raise his salary, we're not going to do that. He hasn't proven to us that he deserves it. And I think that's totally fair. I think that's totally fair. Um, and, and, I mean, yeah, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know what else to to really say there. Um, but yeah, moving on from Barca because I've I've talked about Barca so much this season. I'm, I'm I've honestly gone sick of tired, uh, sick and tired. Part of me of talking about them, but I want to talk about probably the most controversial moment of the game, and that was Jules Kunde getting a red card. Um, I like Jules Kunde for the most part, but, I mean, this is a rookie mistake from him, um, and this is a mistake that, you know, a, a typical youngster will make, and, I mean, you just can't do that, you know, it's, it's obvious that, you know, Jordi Alba, we, we, you know Jordi Alba, you know, no matter who you support, Jordi Alba is a pesky guy, and that's something you have to realize, he's always going to try getting into your head, and he's always going to try drawing fouls and, and being pesky, that's just who he is, and that is actually why, you know, a lot of Barca fans love him, you know, he's one of those love him or hate him players, um, I hate him, but, I'm sure most Barca fans really appreciate him, and it's the little things that he does that gets on players' nerves that leads to things that Jules Kunde did, which is, you know, throw a football at him right at his face, which led to a red card. Um, and yeah, that's something like like it, it's just so dumb from Jules Kunde. Um, I mean, I know he's young, but. You know, you'd kind of expect him to know by now. Like, you know, you can't let players get into your head, especially in such a big game like this against Barca. I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, how Sevilla looked like they were going to score in the second half. And that's with 10 men. I didn't even mention that. That was with 10 men. So what if they had that 11th man? I mean, who knows? Barca could have, pardon me, Sevilla could have come away with three full points here. So, yeah, that that was just that was just not cool from him. It was pretty funny though, from a neutral perspective. I must say, it did have me laughing, especially considering I was at um, <laughs> that it was at um, Jordi Alba, who I don't like. But um, yeah, that's really honestly all I have to talk about. There's there's not that much for me to talk about um, other than what I said. Um, this was a short segment, but we leave the best for last. Um, I'm recording this the day before the next segment. So the next time you'll hear me, which will probably be in about 30 seconds, it'll be the next day for me. So I'm not sure if I will have guests, but 
we'll see. Um, I'm supposed to have two guests, potentially. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. All right. Hope you enjoyed this segment. Uh, next is Real Madrid versus Athletic Bilbao. I don't know why, but I keep forgetting it was Athletic Bilbao. All right. All right. What's up, everyone? So we are joined here with Sean, right? That's Sean? Yes, that's it. All right, perfect. So um, Sean is actually one of the admins of the Madrid Insider Um he writes pretty much all of the um, pieces of writing um, and opinions and all of that. So he does great work there. Um, and yeah, I got him on today to talk about Real Madrid versus Athletic Bilbao. A crazy game, especially the first 10 minutes where all three of the goals happened. Um, but before we just talk about the goals, overall, how do you think the game went for Real Madrid? I think it went just like all of us expected it. I think there was moments where you know Madrid would be in control of the game. Then there was moments where you know Madrid would allow Bilbao to have control of the game. So, you know, that's how Madrid have been playing, you know, for the past 10 games, you know, 15 games, I should say, where we are unbeaten. Um, sometimes we would be in total control of the opposition. Then sometimes maybe Ancelotti would tell the team, you know, just sit back a little bit, absorb some pressure from the team. And I think the defense um, hold out well again. So it's something we expect. It's something that's been happening, you know, for the past two months. So it's nothing um, shocking for anyone. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, games against Athletic Bilbao, especially at the San Mamez, it's it's always going to be a tough game. And um, to Athletic Bilbao's credit, I mean, they have, I think, one of the best fan bases in the world, to be honest. Um, just... It, it, and it's always just such a tough environment. You can feel, like, even watching on the TV, how crazy that atmosphere is there. So it's never going to be an easy game. And especially with Real Madrid having 11 absences uh, from the team. That includes players like Luka Modric, Rodrigo, David Alaba, um, who else? Marco Asensio, Gareth Bale, Lunin, um, and a few other players. So, you know, add that on top. And this was never going to be an easy game. And, you know... The first ten minutes, it was it was just insane. You know the you know Kareem Benzema scored two goals, and it was all of a sudden like whoa, like you know I didn't expect this. You know I think all of us were kind of thinking that in our heads, like you know could this actually be a bit of a, a blowout here? Obviously that wasn't the case, um, but yeah, this this kind of went exactly how I expected it to be. Just a really a nervy kind of game, um, but you know at the end of the day. Real got three points. That's the most important thing. And now they sit eight points clear at the top of the table at the end of 2021. So I want to talk first about those 10 minutes as I, you know, briefly spoke about it, because that's pretty much where most of, you know, well, all the goal scoring happened. And I mean, like Kareem Benzema what a, what a goal that was, that first goal. Like, what was your feeling on that first goal? Because for me, personally, like, when he shot it, like, I knew it was going in. Because I've seen him score from there multiple times before. Um, and, and yeah, I kind of just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, Hello? I was quite happy when that goal went in. Um, yes, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was quite happy when that goal went in. Of course, um, Benzema scored a goal like that against Sociedad in the 
15, no, the 14-15 season in January, yeah. I think. It was such an amazing goal. So it's not something shocking because Benzema has been scoring amazing goals um, ever since he signed for Madrid. But now he's getting that consistency and that confidence. It seems like whenever he shoots, um, it will be on target because I just think it's something Madrid do. If you look at um, how the team um, has their training sessions, it's a lot of shooting. So I think Ancelotti would encourage his team to shoot. Um, it's something that we saw under Zidane where um, there's a lot of shots outside the box um, at the corner of the 18-yard. Um, by the V, there's a lot of shots that we're having and I'm happy that it's going in. It was such an amazing moment because it was the fourth minute of the game. I wasn't expecting that because against Cardiff we struggle. And of course, when that goal went in, it's just something that, you know, no goals in the last 90 minutes against Cardiff and then early as four minutes, a goal, second goal in the seventh minutes. And I'm going to touch on the third goal, which was scored by Bilbao, the third goal of the game. I think Madrid normally concede early goals if you look back. In the first game at the Bernabeu this year against Celta Vigo, um, as early within five minutes we conceded. So it's not shocking that Madrid is conceding goals early in the game. It's something that we need to contain a bit. Sometimes we may concede first, but I'm happy that we conceded second when we scored two goals. So that's the cushion we needed. So it's something that we need to deal with a bit, Ancelotti. He's uh, um, organized with his team because when we concede, Sometimes we concede first, sometimes we concede early. But I'm happy when we conceded early, we scored two goals. So, Yeah, no, you actually made a lot of really good points there. Um, you know, this is a bit off the Athletic Bilbao game specifically, but I think one of the reasons why Real Madrid has been scoring so many goals this season is just because they've been shooting so much, you know, specifically guys like Tony Cruz, um, even Kareem Benzema, who I find has been shooting more, you know, Vinicius Jr. has a lot more confidence. He's shooting much more outside the box as well. Um, we saw that obviously against Sevilla where he scored that fantastic, um, you know, winning goal. Um, and I think that's that's a really good point. Um, also, you know, conceding early. Um, I know I talked a little bit about this with you earlier about, I personally think, um, you know, that, that first goal easily could, or the first goal from Athletic Bilbao, I think that could have, easily been prevented um you know by Kamavinga and by Nacho um but you know Kamavinga we'll talk about him later so I don't want to you know talk about it too much um but I think that was a goal that could have been prevented and you know the defensive mistakes they will happen um to Madrid's credit, they actually went, I think it was something like five or four games where they didn't concede a single goal. The last time they conceded a goal was against Sevilla um, in the 12th minute um, of that game. So that's that's quite a while ago. Um, so, you know, I, I think... Uh, it was just it was just a crazy ten minutes. Um and, and yeah, that's all I really have to say. Anything else to add? No, definitely. Normally in games where the game starts on fire, normally um both coaches would want to settle the game, you know, to ensure the game doesn't get out of hand for either team. So it's normal that after the first ten minutes where um the game is a bit chaotic that both teams will settle a bit, try to get a bit of possession and keep the ball a bit, you know. So um yeah, that's it, you know. Um that's normal that the game died down a bit after that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um all right, so moving on. So I wanna talk about Eden Hazard's performances uh performance, pardon me, because I think there's a lot of 
um, divide between his performance. Some people are saying, you know, he's playing really well and, you know, it's, it's good that he's dribbling and stuff like that. Um, and Ancelotti will agree. Um, but then there's also a lot of people who are like, you know, he didn't actually play that well. Um, you know, I know, uh, I don't know if you know Managing Madrid. Um, they're very big um, uh, Real Madrid site, but they gave Eden Hazard a rating 4 out of 10 for this game. And they just said played as a right winger and slowed the play down far too often, never took on his man, and struggled to keep up with important counterattacks near the end of the second half. Do you agree with that? Yeah, because I actually listened to their podcast this morning when they did spoke about Hazard. They posted it on their YouTube page. And oh, yeah? Yeah, um, and they spoke on Hazard. And I, yeah, of course, um, he is talking 100% facts because a lot of times when Madrid wingers play um, since 2011, um, normally it's about speed and quick transition with Di Maria, Bale, etc. We all know the names, so I'm not going to um, go on about them. But Hazard, of course, you know, um, he isn't that fast. He doesn't have the boost anymore like he had at Chelsea. So, of course, he will throw the play, the play down. And I think that if we're going to play him, I think he's going to do well, like coming on to the left um, um, in a center attacking midfield position, you know, where he can shift in a bit. I don't think that he would be a winger for Madrid, in my opinion, because if Rodrigo or Asensio was there, I think they would have started that game. So I just think Ancelotti will support the player. I think he has to give him confidence. That's why he said Hazard is back because he wants him to get confidence. He wants him to build on the performance. But it wasn't that good. I don't think it should be a 4 out of 10 because it was one of his better performances. I think maybe a 5.5 would do. I don't think it's a 4. But I think he was much better on the ball. But I do think that he did slow the game down a bit. And they did say on occasions when we were building from the back and we had opportunities to go into spaces, Hazard was a bit slow. And that's understandable because if you want a player who can play on the wing, who can keep the ball, you can use Isco. You can use Kamavinga, you can use Madrid. These guys can keep the ball on the wing. So playing Hazard on the wing, I don't think it makes much sense. If you want to play him, you can play him in center attacking midfield behind Benzema. Okay, yeah. Uh, so for me, I agree and disagree at the same time. On one hand, I do feel like this was one of Hazard's better performances. There were times where he did look really, um, he did look good. Um, in fact, he did actually complete three out of three dribbles, um, dribble attempts, I should say, uh, according to Sofa score, which, you know, that's that's nice to say. He also had an 88% passing accuracy. Um, he had roughly 70 touches. So two key passes as well. So he was, I think, trying to get involved. But the problem is, is yes, that like he does slow the play down. Um, he rarely you know, beats his man. There was one chance in this game where he did actually manage to um, beat a a defender one-on-one. And it was actually nice to see because it was right for speed. He got to it first. And I I might have talked about this earlier with you, but I'm not sure. Um, He had a two-on-one with Kareem Benzema. And he he had a bit of an angle. And instead of trying to shoot, he just gives a really bad pass to Benzema and it gets intercepted. And in my opinion, that was something that he definitely should have shot because A, I think it would have been the smarter option, but B, because, you know, I think 
like he just needs this confidence to score the score a goal. So um, I mean, if if I had to give him a rating, I did give him seven out of ten, um, just because you know I wanted to be a bit generous. But realistically, you're probably looking about. I would say six out of ten, six point five out of ten. But no, I wouldn't say four out of ten. I think that's, I think that's exaggerating a little bit. I don't think he was that bad, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think um, you have a point there um, because he wasn't that bad. It was one of his better games, like we said, you know. So definitely, um, you can't just expect him to get faster all of a sudden after the two years he had. I think it's something we have to accept and we have to adapt to it. So I definitely think he has a um, important function in the team um, for the end of the season, for the last half of the season, because there will be moments when he will be useful. Uh, for example, when the team has a low block, I think he would be a key player in um, getting a goal there. Um, so yeah, I think he'd be useful. But maybe um, this is a game that can help him build his confidence, and hopefully the goals will come. Yeah, and you actually mentioned something that I was just... Um gonna talk about um i feel like i don't know i think we need to adjust our expectations for hazard at this point um for all you know people who are still you know hoping hazard's gonna be a revelation i think that that boat needs to just sail because it's not gonna happen he's never gonna live up to that 115 million euros that Real Madrid paid for him i think at this point these kind of performances are roughly what you should expect from Hazard. And that is why I continuous, continuously say that, honestly, I think that I really would want to see him play as a number 10 because I think that would just fit him perfectly. He still has, we know that he still has the technical ability. Like he always shows it, you know, he has still the touch. He has, you know, the vision, all of this, but he doesn't have the speed. And as a winger, especially in modern-day football, you have to have the speed. So I think playing him as a 10 would honestly work. Um, and maybe it'd allow him, honestly, to get more minutes. Because there's no way he's you know playing on the left wing anymore. Um, there's so many better options. Vinicius, Rodrigo, Asensio. Honestly, I would put all of them above Hazard. And then on the right wing as well, you have Rodrigo, Asensio, Bale. So maybe playing him as a number 10. you know, And especially if Isco leaves... Um, next summer, which is very likely to happen, maybe that could happen, you know? Um, and just as a rotation player, but I, I think at this point, Eden Hazard is at best just a rotation player, and we just need to adjust our expectations for him. And yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. And maybe one of the main issues why he isn't playing as an attacking midfielder as much as we think is because maybe he isn't that good defensively. Maybe yeah, yeah. That's I think that's the one really big concern over Hazard, and it always has been, is that he just, you know, he doesn't um, have the defensive work rate that's required to be a midfielder, even if it is an attacking midfielder. But to his credit, I believe in the last game, I'm going to check right now, um, he actually had an impressive amount of interceptions. Um, uh, let me see. Okay, well, no, he didn't. He had, he did have six ground duels one, which is, you know, that's not bad. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the one big concern that everyone has. 
So yeah, it will take time for them to adapt to it. You know, you can't expect them to move uh, from the wing into attacking midfield. Yeah, yeah, of course. To be a monster in um, defensive um, transition. So it will take time. Maybe um, I don't want to say we should sell him because I think he still has a function to play, like like we both said. You know, so it's going to take time, and I think he's eventually going to adapt to it a bit more coming on to the end of the season. I'm not going to say he's going to have this big impact, but I definitely think he will. Definitely show a bit of a bit of goals and a bit of assists and you know. I think he can definitely get a bit of spark back. I'm not gonna say a lot of spark, but he's definitely gonna um have some good games in my opinion. I agree, yeah. So I know we, we kinda searched on it a bit, but like really what do you think his role can be in the second half of the season? How do you think he can contribute? You know, when will he be able to play? What do you think his role can be? Okay, and this is something that I've been speaking about, you know, for two years uh, whenever I talk about Madrid. It's because for two years, especially under Zidane, one of our main issues has been the low block. When teams defend low against us because it eliminates Vinicius Junior's speed and, of course, our Madrigo as well. And that's why I was a big fan of Martin Odegaard at the start of the season. I'm sure you knew that um, I would have loved Odegaard to stay because against low blocks, um, he would have been essential to that. So with Odegaard gone, um, Isco isn't playing much. I think the only player who can have um, the biggest impact along with Benzema when a team is playing a low, back, low block, it is Eden Hazard. So I definitely think when teams are sitting deep against lesser opposition, if we are chasing a game especially, I do think that Eden Hazard will be an essential player when it comes to that. So I definitely hope that you know Carlo Ancelotti uses him um, in the best way possible, not just um, dump him on the wing uh, where he can struggle a bit and, and people like us or anyone can um, talk how bad he was. So I definitely think Ancelotti should use him and use his best qualities. And that's when, and at this time, that's in space, um, the half spaces where he can assist his teammates. Okay, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't really have anything else to add because you kind of just said everything for me that I was going to say. Um, because that's completely accurate, I would say. No, like, as I said, he brings the creativity. He brings, you know, he still has that technical ability. It's just he doesn't have the physicality. So, yeah, I think against low blocks, I think against Cadiz, like, in an ideal situation, an ideal world where, you know, you have Rodrigo, Asensio, Bale fit, you can put Hazard in the midfield and then probably put Rodrigo on the right. That's probably who I would put in a low block. Um, but yeah. All right, let's move on from Hazard because we've been talking about him for a while. And we're going to talk about Kamavinga and Valverde. I think this is the first time we actually saw these two start the same game together. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, yeah, I and, so. yeah. And there's been... Again, with ha- just like with Hazard, there's been a lot of mixed reviews about Eduardo Camavinga's performances. Um, if you want to take a look at, for example, uh, managing Madrid again, um, they gave him a rating 4 out of 10. And they said, shaky game all around. He had a few good crunching tackles, but for the most part was not comfortable in the lone pivot position. Took shots when they were not on. Had some heavy touches, which nearly led to counterattacks. And has already earned his fifth yellow of the season, meaning he misses in the next match against um, against Hitafe. And 
but then you have Marca, who says Eduardo Camavinga is excelling at just 19 years old with a spectacular quality in midfield, shining through whenever he is on the pitch. Wednesday was no different, which was yesterday. And the French midfielder cut every single ball out, making Casemiro's absence not a problem for the team. So, first, Camavinga, how do you think he played? Okay, well, on the ball, he was excellent. I think he had a lot of touches, 98 touches um, Kamavinga had. And I think the main issue is maybe on the goal. I think that maybe marked him down a bit. But I think if a guy like Luka Modric or Tony had that game, I don't think uh, managing Madrid would have given him a four. I think that's a bit harsh. You know, um, maybe um, when Madrid doesn't have possession, he isn't that intelligent like uh, Carlos Enrique or Luka Modric or Tony. Um, in defensive transition, he's young, so that's expected. So maybe four is a bit too harsh. But on the ball, yes, he made a few bad passes. There was a moment where he nutmegged a Bilbao player um, just outside our own box. Um, we could have um, lost the ball, but he got it back. You know, I think because of those little shaky moments, like three to five, uh, maybe um, they marked him down a bit. But on possession, I think he was good. I think he um, did some of the stuff that Magic would usually do. So I think that they were a bit harsh on him due to those shaky moments. But he's young, that's expected. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. I do actually disagree. I think, so coming into the the first, I would say the first half, especially the first maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, Kamavinga looked really uncomfortable, which I do agree with. Um, like they, he he looked very uncomfortable. He um, every time he got the ball, he was always playing backwards or sideways. He was never looking to just play ahead. Um, but I did think that defensively, for the most part, he was really good. Obviously, I did mention that I do think he could have prevented that first goal. Um, I will give credit though to. Um, Oi, how do you say it? Oihan Sanchet? I think that's how you say it. I'm probably wrong. That was a phenomenal goal. I mean, no one could save that shot. That was a really, really nice goal. So I will have to give credit to him for that goal. Um, but, you know, I think Kamavinga could have prevented it if he just, you know, put a foot in. He kind of was just walking beside him. But anyways, that's not a big deal. I think defensively, he was very good, though. Um Three clearances, six tackles, um, 10 ground duels won, three aerial duels won. Um, so defensively, there was no problem. But again, there's that problem of him. And I've mentioned this a lot in the past, is that he is like, it's almost like he's too excited. I don't know if that makes sense, but he always fouls. He fouls a lot, and that's a big problem. As they mentioned, he's already going to miss the next game um, against Hitafe because he's picked up five yellow cards. And it's not like he's played that much this season. You know, like um, most of his performances or most of his um, uh, appearances have been coming off the bench. So it's not like he's been playing a lot. So that's definitely something that he's going to have to work on. Um, and I think that with time he'll learn to just be less aggressive and be smarter on tackles but he does slide in a lot and to his credit it does work a lot of the time probably most of the time he does win the ball back but you know even if it's one out of every eight tackles that he gets fouled for that's a big risk for a yellow card if you're sliding in so um if i had to give him a rating 
I honestly would give him like seven out of ten because I think for the most part he did play pretty well. Maybe I'm giving him a bit too high, but I think he did play pretty well. Um, and Valverde, how do you think he played? Yeah, and that's the best fear. Valverde actually started a bit deeper on the fullback side, um, closer to Lucas Vasquez in possession. I didn't think he did anything too, let's say, too amazing, but he was quite simple, and I think he got the job done. His positioning was good. Um, that's something that many people would notice, but his positioning is always good when it comes um, in defense and in attack as well. So I think Valverde actually quietly had a good game. Um, that's as much as I could say about him because he didn't have many amazing moments, but it was quite simple and effective in a way. I think you phrased that perfectly. He didn't have, like, on paper, or sorry, like, on the eye test, I don't think he was incredible, but he did the job. He did what he was supposed to do. You know, he was his own defensive self. I mean, he was all over, you know, the defensive side. You know, one clearance, two block shots, an interception, a tackle, dribble pass zero times, um, ground duels one, six, one aerial duel. Um, he completed four out of five dribble attempts, which is actually really impressive. Um, 92% passing accuracy. So he had a nice all-around game. And, and I think this, considering this is the first time we've seen Valverde and Kamavinga play together, I think this was very good overall. Yeah, it was because many people are saying um, this is a midfield for the future. Um, so I definitely think this is a good start. So um, maybe in the next game they play, which I believe will be in the Copa. So yep. I think they will definitely definitely um, have an opportunity to build that understanding with each other. Listen, Ancelotti, if you're listening to this, this is, I'm speaking, I think, for every Madridista. This is what I need the midfield to be. All right? Blanco, Camavinga, and Valverde. Get it done. Get it done, Carlo, okay? Yeah, um, most coaches, especially now, they're going to go with their best players, um, even in the cup. So I hope that he gives Blanco an opportunity with Fabian Camavinga. Honestly, I th- I think he will because we saw last year or last season, Zidane. Even though it was a mistake technically, um, Zidane, you know, he rotated a lot in the Copa. But I think this year I'm more confident about it because Valverde, Camavinga, and Blanco, those are all phenomenal players. So I trust them to play together. And like people need to realize, at some point, if they if we want this to be the midfield three, which I personally want it to, at some point sooner or later they're going to have to play together. So why not be it against Alcoyano, you know? No, but let's be honest. I think he's going to play with Isco and Kamavinga and Fadi Valverde deeper and play Isco. I don't think there's an, I don't think that he's going to play Blanco. He barely uses his academy, let's be honest. So if Isco's available, he's going to go with Fadi, um, Kamavinga and Isco higher up the pitch. So that's what I think he's going to do. That's not what I want because... Okay can be, you know, off the bench and become a better player. But I think Isco might start and Blanco might come on. All right. I mean, it looks like we have different opinions there. That's that's good to see. I, I honestly don't think Isco will start. I don't think Ancelotti trusts him that much anymore. But, hey, I mean, we'll see. Um, yeah. All right. Um, let's see what else. Okay, so one of, I think, the highlights of this game Oh, also, one thing, actually, before we move on to this, I think one thing that also people need to realize is even though this wasn't perfect performances by any means from Camavinga and Valverde, you can tell that they, they there's 
so much potential for success considering that this was against Athletic Bilbao at the San Mames. And, you know, that's, again, as I said, that's always going to be very, very tough. Athletic Bilbao is one of the better teams in Spain. And if I had to give a com- like a comparison from to the Premier League, like I would kind of mark them as like the West Ham of La Liga. I don't know, maybe, do you think that's a good comparison? Yeah, definitely. Um, the West Ham fans, uh, I do have a similar atmosphere um, to um, in San Mami as well. And the other stadium, I think Upton Park, and this one is a bit bigger, so it's difficult to get an atmosphere. But in terms of the playing style, the position of, of the table and stuff, and their constant um, position in the league over the years, yeah, that's fair, you know? All right, perfect. So let's move on. So, um... Lucas Vasquez, um, man, he didn't have a great game. I don't, okay, well, I don't think he played badly, but it wasn't one of his better performances. Um, I would say he did make two crucial giveaways that almost led to goals, but thankfully, Eder Militao is, you know, playing at Ballon d'Or level right now. I'm obviously joking, but, um, do you think Real Madrid should look into buying a right back in January or maybe even in the summer? Or do you think Vasquez for these kind of games where Carvajal is out or against, you know, lower tier teams, Lucas Vasquez is good enough? Okay, you know, I think we may have um, we may not have the same opinions when it comes to this matter, but let me okay. give you my personal answer. Okay. For me, any fullback we sign, I'm going to be a bit disappointed because we had Hakimi as our fullback. So any fullback we sign will not be as good as him, and I will Facts. be disappointed. So, um, in terms of a fullback on the market, now I do not think that there is a fullback on the market who can play on that side that is better than Carvajal. Of course, Cancelo and James at Chelsea and Alexander Arnold at Liverpool. In my opinion, they are better than Carvajal now. But in terms of the options available, I do not think that there is one who can, like, be better than Carvajal. Or, you know, um, will be willing to accept playing back up to Carvajal, you know. So then it comes to guys like Pedro at, um, at Sporting, uh, who would be, you know, a good player for us, you know. So I believe that, you know, we should um, keep the squad that we has. I think that if you're going to buy a guy like Pedro to play as a fullback, it's best we just keep Audrey Zola because I think if he goes to Portugal, he's going to do well as well. So I don't think that there is a need, you know, to sign one unless... It's like way better than our options. Okay, no, that's that's a very fair opinion. I would say I think a lot of people would actually agree with you. I'm kind of again in the middle um, with this. On one hand, I think I'm okay to give Alvaro Odriozola another chance because I think at the end of last season he showed that he's good enough to get by um and this season he's actually been playing quite well for Fiorentina in fact um in a starting role uh for the most part um you know I think the one big concern though is that Danny Carvajal is very injury prone and if you're always gonna like how many you know this is actually insane like Carvajal has played, I believe, 37% of the possible minutes he could have played this season. 37%. So if he's only going to be playing, let's say, half the games for Real Madrid, then I think he gets to the point where, okay, you need to buy, you know, a right back. Like, 
Alvaro Odriozola, he's someone that I would be okay with. And Lucas Vasquez, they'd be okay, you know, if Carvajal is playing, you know, like 70% of the minutes, stuff like that. But if it's 50, 40 in that range, then I think you need to buy a right back. And I think, I think it, we shouldn't get one in the winter. But depending on his fitness, depending on Carvajal's fitness um, over the second half of the season, then I think that depends on whether you get a right back. Um, but the problem is, is who do you get? Because you don't just want to get some scrub, right? Um, I think Pedro Porro would probably be what most Madrid fans are looking at. Um, but the problem is, I think he's a little bit expensive. Um, I think Sporting are, are looking for something like 40 million euros. And honestly, I'm not willing to pay 40 million euros for a backup to Carvajal. <laughs> um, I think that's just too much. But... Um, it's a good debate to be had, um, but I think for now, just wait it out to the summer, um, and yeah, I, I I agree with you for the most part at the moment. So, yeah, one thing I must add is maybe if Miguel was not at the back and he was on the other side, I think he would definitely be the long-term heir to Carvajal, but unfortunately, he's at the back. So that's um that's the only unfortunate thing about it. And I think if you're going to sign a fullback on that side, I think the main thing that we should consider is who do we get who is willing to play back up the Carvajal and is good enough to play back up the Carvajal and yeah. quality and standard. Uh, we should maybe see maybe under twenty five million. And if I'm looking at it, you have to look at a good player who is at a good team, who the good team will maybe want to keep, but unfortunately they may need to sell. I would look at Timo Livermento at Southampton. He's a young 19-year-old. Mm. But back from Chelsea, he's loaned out to Southampton and he's doing he's doing amazing in the Premier League for a 19-year-old. So I think maybe if we can sign that player because maybe Chelsea will say, you know what, let me just let the player go because we have James, we have Aspilicueta, who may leave, but... Um, maybe I think he'll stay. Honestly, I think he'll stay. Aspilicueta. Yeah, he may stay, but um, Livermento actually is young, and I don't think we'll lose out much if he fails, but I think he will do well. He is, he may not complain to be a backup as much, I know it's unlikely, but that's maybe the kind of player we should go after. A uh, young player who definitely has potential to get better, because I don't see a full-back in our academy who can, you know, be a backup to cover half. Okay. Yeah, that's, I think, a, a good point there. Um, yeah. I don't have much else to say. I already said what I have to say. And uh, I think you make a good point. Yeah. All right. So um, the last thing for this game specifically is um, Peter Federico. I believe it's Peter. I don't know if it's Peter. How do you say it? Because he is Spanish. But well, I'm just going to go with Peter. Peter Federico. Um, he made his first team debut for Real Madrid. And this was one of the most anticipated um, debuts in quite a while, actually. He's been balling out for Castilla um, for the last year or so. Um, do you think Peter deserves to play more? And do you think he deserves to get called up more? Yeah, I, I definitely think so because he is um, natural on that side of the pitch. Like, for example, how Vinicius is a natural left winger. He is natural on that side of the pitch um, on the right-hand side. He did play on the left on yesterday, uh, which was a bit shocking for everyone. But he did well. And definitely, I believe that he should um, get more call-ups to the first team because unlike Marvin Park and Sergio Arribas, I think that he has natural athleticism, speed, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I'm not gonna say similar to Vinicius because um, I'm not gonna make that. Um, I'm not gonna make that done <laughs> at this time. But in terms of being a natural on one side, I think he definitely has that potential. Um, maybe Marvin Park is more like maybe similar to Lucas Vasquez if I'm making um, making him similar to another player. And Sergio Bass is more a player who likes to come and feel. Peta is a player who can dominate a wing, in my opinion. And if you see a player who has that potential, I definitely believe you should let him have the opportunity to make that step. I know many people will say, um, well, um, they're playing in the third division. And Sufati made a step step up. He didn't even play for Barcelona B, as far as I can um, see. Yeah, he didn't play no games for Barcelona B. He made that jump and he had the opportunity and he took his chance. So I believe that Majid should afford better that opportunity. But unnaturally, like I always say, he barely looks at the academy. Okay, yeah. I, I completely agree with everything you said there. Um, I think he his ceiling, as you mentioned, is so much higher than um, a lot of the Castilla players we've seen come through the ranks um, or be um, making their debuts over the last year or so because of that athleticism. He is super strong. and Not super strong. He's super fast. Um, and he also does have some strength, it seems like. Um, and I think another thing that really works in his favor, as you mentioned, he can play in multiple positions, which I think if he were to make the first team, I think that's the really big factor because he can play on the right he can play on the left as you know he did against uh bilbao um and he has actually played a little bit up top as striker and center forward um so i definitely think this is someone that we should see more of and i think we will see more of especially against um especially against Alcoyano. I think that would be a very good chance for um, Petter to get, you know, 45 minutes. I don't think... I think it'd be maybe harsh to start him, kind of just throw him in, but maybe giving him, you know, one full half to just let him do what he can do. Um, And yeah, but my one concern is how much... Like, realistically speaking, does Ancelotti actually like Peter or is he only playing because of the absences of Rodrigo Bale and Asensio. Because before Rodrigo Bale and Asensio were out, he wasn't getting called up. It was only up until the, they they went out that he, you know, got called up. So, you know, with them returning, do you think realistically he will be called up or, or no? Well, it's a bit difficult to say because, like we say, it's not about Ancelotti liking Peter. It's about Ancelotti wanting to use, you know, players... Um, you can say who is more accustomed with the first team and played more minutes, um, like Asensio and Rodrigo, I think, because he believes that they are maybe a bit smarter tactically, I'm just saying, you know, or, or played more games with the first team and a bit more experience. I think that's why he would lean towards them. And it's something that Angelotti maybe is doing with Miguel a bit, where um, sometimes Miguel will not even have a substitute um wouldn't even come on as a substitute even when Mendy and Marcelo isn't playing because sometimes Nacho would start at left back then Alaba would start at left back. It's something Ancelotti normally does. It's not something shocking in my opinion. He did that in 2014-15 as well uh, when there were other talented players as well who barely um, got an introduction under him. So I definitely believe that I don't think he has anything against Peter. I just believe that normally he would go for Bale and Asensio and Rodrigo as it's his first season and maybe in the second season 
then when you sort out the squad a bit and he understands the players a bit more, he will eventually have them play. I hope he does. All right. Yeah, I, I agree. I hope he will play more. He seems really electrifying. And honestly, he easily, like, judging on this performance, like, he honestly, he should have had an assist in this game. I don't care what anyone says. He set up Luka Jovic perfectly. Um, and, like, I'm, I'm not trying to make this about Luka Jovic, but come on, Luka. I mean, you just got to do better. He had so much time and space in the in the box. He honestly, I don't know why he didn't take a second touch. There was no defender near him. Even the defender who was running up on him, he had enough t- uh, time to take another touch and score it. So, honestly, Peter, I think, was robbed of an assist. And he could have scored a goal as well, if not for... Um, Athletics goalkeeper, who was it? Um, Hulen Arizegabala. I don't know how you say that name, but he turned into prime Manuel Neuer um, coming out of his uh, box like that. But uh, yeah, th- I think we're going to see more of him, I hope, and especially in the Copa del Rey. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah, I see your point as well. Yeah, all right. So now I want to talk about Edermilitao. Um we're coming pretty close to the end of the podcast. So, um, do you think uh, Eder Militao should win La Liga Player of the Month? Now, before you answer, um, I'll tell you who the uh, who the contestants are for uh, this month. It's Eder Militao, uh, Ocampos, uh, Alvaro Garcia, uh, Damian Suarez, Jorge Molina, uh, Juanmi, and Hugo Duro. Um, I think... So I'm going to say my opinion first. I think, honestly, this is down between him and um, who is it? I think, who's the one that scored a, a hat-trick? I think it was Jorge Molina, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I would say it's between him and Jorge Molina. Jorge Molina had four goals in 264 minutes, including a hat-trick, making him the oldest player ever to score a hat-trick in, I believe, the top five leagues, which is an incredible record. Um but yeah, do you think he'll he'll win the? Do you think he deserves to win Player of the Month? Well, for me, I will say yes because of course I support Madrid and I watch him a lot. Definitely, <laughs> I say yes because I must admit, um, a lot of the other La Liga games, you know, Barcelona, maybe Sevilla and Atletico Madrid. Um, normally I won't focus on them too much unless Madrid needs to play them in a match, and uh, yep. maybe a few um tactical points and a few um important highlights, um, but. I would definitely say Militao because after this game, Madrid hadn't conceded a goal um, after this game for the entire month uh, of December and a few games in November as well. So I definitely believe he should win because that's not easy um, um, to step in into the shoes as a starter at Madrid because if you look at some of the quotes that former Madrid defenders say, playing as a defender for Madrid is one of the hardest things to do because mm-hmm. often you are left exposed on a lot of occasions. Um, so I definitely believe that he should win it because I must admit that I haven't seen the other guys you know, play as much as I should. Maybe I saw glimpses, maybe highlights um, that's going on. But because I have seen Militao play and seen how solid he has been, not just for the past month, but two, two months, maybe the entire season. But for the last two months, he definitely did take that step up and he's getting better. And for the entire season, um, he's been good. And I must admit that I believe he should win it because... Of course, um, yes, um, uh, Molina scored a hat-trick, and yes, Ocampo was good, etc. But Madrid kept um, clean sheets, I think, five back-to-back, so 
Um, that's good. And actually, before we uh, move forward, Timo Courtois actually um, um, scored, not scored, he set his own record on yesterday. Five mm-hmm. minutes without conceding, and that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. So, yeah, as I mentioned, I think it's ultimately down to him and Jorge Molina. But honestly, I feel like I might be a bit biased, but I think it does deserve to go to Militao because, um, as you mentioned, Real Madrid, I mean, you know, Thibaut Courtois freaking broke a record for or his own record for not conceding a goal. And let's be honest, that is very largely due to how Eder Militao played and you know, you also remember that performance against Real Sociedad where he had a 10 out of 10 performance. For anyone who pays attention to football, they would know that for a defender, like it is 10 times harder for a defender to have a 10 out of 10 performance than for, let's say, an attacker. Um, but, you know, he like that that performance against Real Sociedad was a generational performance, like literally. Like, I don't think Real win that game without him. Um and, and yeah, like, he just, like, the fact that Real Madrid went five full games without conceding a goal, that's incredible. Um, so, I think he does deserve it. He's been phenomenal all month long. Um, you know, I did criticize him, honestly, a little bit at the beginning of the season. I think he wasn't looking, like, he looked very shaky. Um, he was giving the ball away a lot, making mistakes, but... He has looked very, very, very good over the last couple months, and especially this month. And I think it would be a shame if he didn't get it. So yeah. Yeah, but um, my final point on Militao, um, two final points, which will be quick. If you want to look at the Sociedad game, and you're not a Madrid fan, and you maybe want to have an idea how good he played, you should maybe have a look at how Pepe played against Juventus and when Porto knocked Juventus out on last year, and how good he was. That's how good Militao was. Something similar to that, you know. But my final point, um, I think in the defense, not just Militao was shaky. I think Alaba was a bit shaky as well. Nacho was a bit shaky as well. So I believe that that was because at the start of the season, Mendy wasn't there, Cavajal wasn't there, Nacho was moving to fullback, Nacho was moving to left back, Alaba was moving to left back. The defense was a bit unorganized, you know. So that's why I believe that um, he struggled a bit. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, I I agree. So, um, I th- we've been going for a little while. So I was planning on doing other things, but. I've changed my mind last second, and Sean, I'm going to put you on the spot here, okay? So, now that 2021, pardon me, is now over for us, I want you to tell us your player of the year, match of the year, revelation of the year, so like, you know, just revelation, yeah, I don't know if you know what that means, but yeah, revelation of the year, and most disappointing player. Go. Okay. Uh, my player of the year, of course, um, many people would say Benzema, and I would definitely say Benzema as well. But, of course, I think Courtois needs to be mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. So, I would say Benzema and second Courtois, because what Benzema is doing in games against Chelsea, even when we lost, he scored a goal, he could have had a few more. Um, in games that we lost, I think Benzema still did something amazing and could have helped us win. Uh, maybe he needed help from his teammates. So maybe um, I will say Courtois second and Benzema first because Benzema has been amazing all year. Okay. And in terms of game of the year, and that's a bit difficult for me, but in terms of game of the year, I will go, um, I will maybe go the Liverpool game where we won 2-0. Oh. 2-1, I should say 3-1, not 2-0. Yeah, yeah, 3-1. 
and that's mainly because that's when Mother Tao um, finally got to start, of course, and no Sergio, no, no, no Rafael in the back, and Mother Tao naturally played so well. We kept them at bay for most of the game, and then Venezia scored two goals, and Asensio scored. So I think how important the game was, I think we would, I would go for that game. In terms of evaluation for the year, uh, do you mean like um, something that I noticed that maybe I didn't see before? Basically, like revelation, like it's like means like, uh, like just something you didn't expect. You know, yeah. it could be a player, it could be results or anything. Just revelation of the year. You didn't expect this. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, of course. Um, most people will say when they see us um, <laughs> all the goals. Of course, and that's what most people will say, and I will say that as well because I think that's that's your opinion as well because everyone is going to say when they see us just exploding onto the scene. But I did have faith in them all along, but I didn't expect it to be that good. But the biggest revelation for me is when Sergio Ramos left and that announcement came on that there would be a conference for him. I didn't expect that because, of course. I expected him to sign a one-year extension even when mm -hmm. he um, came back and said, okay, I will sign the one-year expected um, because he was a captain that um, we would let him sign the contract. But of course he didn't. Uh, I think that one was a bit shocking for me. Of course, we moved on now, but that one was a bit shocking for me. Okay, and lastly, uh, most disappointing player. Most disappointing player. Um, if I'm going to pick a player who's most disappointing, it's a player out on loan, and that's Rene Jesus. But in terms of in the squad, I would definitely say the most disappointing player, in my opinion. I would have to go with... Hmm, it hurts me to say this, but I think I would have to go for Eden Hazard, in my opinion. Um, of course, I was looking for other options, but in terms of the big games where he played um, against Chelsea, where we got knocked out of the Champions League, I think that was a bit disappointing in my opinion. Um, that's something that, you know, that it still hits a bit because I think that, you know, if maybe Zina had got his um, tactics spot on, we would have been in that final. But, you know, Hazard played, he played on the left and he wasn't, you know, as good as we thought. And, of course, he was injured for most of the year. And that's it. And I think he is my most disappointing player. But that doesn't mean I'm against Hazard. I want him to do well. Okay. I just thought of one more, um, one more thing. And I'll let you think about it while I talk, all right? But goal of the year, all right? So just think about it. All right. So for me, um, my player of the year, it has to be Kareem Benzema. Like, it's not even a debate. Um, like, the amount of times he saved around Madrid, um, just like he did against Athletic Bilbao, um, it just it, it can't be anyone but him finishing fourth in the Ballon d'Or. Um, I honestly think he deserved to be at least third. Um, but yeah, I think Courtois definitely deserves a shout. Um, that's very fair. I wouldn't, you know, complain if someone said Courtois. Um, match of the year, you know, I, I'm going to agree with you. I have to. Real Madrid versus Liverpool, um, the first leg. It was just, it was such a good game. That was, I think that's kind of um, when stocks were highest for Vinicius before you know, him turning out to be what he is this season. But, uh, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd probably have to say, like, that Liverpool game. So, yeah. And then, I don't know, revelation of the year. I mean, has to be Vinny, right? Like, has to be for me. Like, just seeing how he evolved from 
uh, you know, even January up until now, it's it's insane. Um, so yeah, and then most disappointing player, I know most people are gonna say in Hazard, but I'm gonna go a bit of a different route and say Isco, because honestly, coming into the season. I was a bit excited for Isco. Um, you know, he looked like he was in better shape. Um, and it looked like, you know, maybe he'll be given a lifeline with Ancelotti coming back. Um, but nah, it's just, it, it was not, you know, it just didn't live up to the hype, I guess. And um, I'll go, yeah, a bit of a different route there for most disappointed player. And then for goal of the year, for me, it's between Benzema's goal in El Clasico where he scored the back heel um, and nutmeg that or Vinicius's solo goal against Shakhtar but I think I'm gonna go honestly with Benzema's back heel against Barca in El Clasico so yeah yeah I was actually just thinking that because I was maybe looking to see if anyone of our players got a bicycle kick or something like that but um, no one did so I was thinking Benzema um, but because you said the Benzema goal I would actually go with the Vinicius goal against Sevilla. Fair enough. Because it's not something we expect uh, from him. Normally he would dribble and weave uh, weave his way into the box and score a nice goal. But this time it's a shot from outside the box. Maybe we see many players do it. But because it's Vinicius who did it, I think it's the first time he scored a goal like that, in my opinion. Um, I think it's just the confidence, the timing of the goal, everything. Um, it's what uh, makes it so special. So I would go for Vinicius against Sevilla, but in terms of a better goal, I would go for Benzema's goal being better than Vinicius' um, goal against Sevilla. But the moment of uh, Vinicius' um, goal, it just announced that, you know, um, hey, you know, um, last season he missed two goals, two open goals, I should say, against Sevilla. And this year he scored an amazing goal against them. You know, so I would go for Vinicius. Okay. Well... That wraps it up for uh, today's podcast. Thank you so much, Sean, uh, for joining us. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's going to wrap it up. Guys, make sure to please follow our Instagram at the Madrid Insider underscore two. And also follow the full dot time show. Um, and yeah, that's going to wrap it up. Sean, do you have anything else to add? Um, no, that's basically it, you know. Um... But in terms of one more thing, in terms of the league, I must say, if we do not win the league from this year, it's going to be a tough time <laughs> with fun for maybe a month or two. You know, yeah. Hope that we win this league because we cannot let this slip. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can have you on in the near future. But uh, yeah, that's it for today. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. And I do look forward to being here in the future as well. Yeah, no problem. All right. We'll see you. Okay. Thank you.